Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtson of Linksfield Shul, and it's a privilege and an honor to be here with you on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Where are we? We're a week after Purim. And we are three weeks away from Pesach. Three weeks away from Pesach. Thank God. Here we come. Right? Usually the reaction to Pesach, here we come, is like, oh my gosh. But Pesach, it's awesome. As awesome as all the customs are and the fact that family gets to spend time together, is the awesomeness of the theme of Pesach, freedom. Pesach really sits at the heart of of Jewish identity, of human identity, of the experience of living in this world. And if you remember three years ago, just before Pesach is when we went into lockdown, how could you forget? And if I remember correctly, last year Pesach was somewhat out of it, then we went back into it. Pesach somehow has been strongly connected to the whole lockdown and COVID experience. But hopefully now Pesach has a different connotation. So let's talk about Pesach in its, in its contemporary connotation. Because here's something beautiful. Torah is timeless and all the lessons of the Torah are timeless. And yet each generation and not only each generation, but each individual at each stage of their life will interpret the messages in their own way. In other words, things resonate to you differently based on your own circumstances, based on your maturity. A 10-year-old will never have the same appreciation of a Chag as a 50-year-old. I'm not saying one's better, one's worse. Maybe the 10-year-old is actually more excited than the 50-year-old. But if the 50-year-old digs into 50 years of experience on this world or 80 years of experience, whatever, they'll find a deep resonance with the Chag. So no matter how many times you've gone through the Pesach Seder and no matter how many times you've explored the relevance of Pesach to your life, you are changed. I've shared the story before. It's one of my favorite stories from uh, Rabbi Evan Yisrael, Rabbi Steinzaltz, a blessed memory, that one time he was asked by somebody, he said, Rabbi, how can somebody open a Siddur, a prayer book, every day, and pray the same words, right? Most of the Siddur is very much repetitious. On Shabbos, it's a bit different. On Chagim, it's different. But on the average day, you show up to Shul Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the 90, 95% of the Siddur is exactly the same, day by day. So he said, the Siddur is the same every day. How can you actually connect and be inspired by the davening? It's so boring. It's so boring. And the rabbi looked at him and he says, yes, but you're different. The book might be the same, but you're different. And he says, if you're not, if you're the same person you were yesterday and the day and two days ago, then it's not the sitter that's boring. It's you. In other words, if you're showing up to Pesach this year and you're like, oh my gosh, so boring. Yeah, the story, 10 plagues, heard it before. Oh gosh, 
what is it? Oh, the splitting of the sea and Moshe Rabbeinu and Moses and dipping the finger in the cup and drinking four cups and eating matzah. Oh my gosh, boring. Same. If you're showing up and that's what you're feeling, then in the, to borrow the words of Rabbi Steinsaltz, maybe it's not the Seder that's boring, it's us. Because we are very different people. We're not showing up to the Seder in 2023. 5783, we're not showing up the same way we showed up last year. I really hope so. Circumstances have changed. Epiphanies, hopefully we've matured. Hopefully we have a healthier perspective on life. We're different. We're evolved. Right? You know, that just triggers a thought. Often people ask Rabbi, do you believe in evolution? And what they mean is, do I believe in evolution as in that we come from monkeys or apes or like stories that happen so-called billions of years ago. And my answer often is that that conversation is not so relevant. What's more relevant is, do I believe that people should evolve? Do I believe that evolution is necessary? And the answer is, of course, we must evolve. If we leave this world the way we come into this world, what a waste of a life. So evolution is a, is, is a calling. It's a mandate. In other words, often when people are asking about evolution, do they believe that just by some natural order, things just evolve. And I'm like, let's leave that question and focus on the more important question. Do you believe in the mandate, in the moral obligation to evolve, to grow, to become a better version, to become a, a bigger mensch, to, be, to grow in your, in your character, in your morality, in your kindness, in your Yiddishkeit? Do I believe? Of course I do. We all do, we all do, right? The, the, the mandate to evolve. So here we are. And yes, last year we explored Pesach and two years ago we explored Pesach and for many of us we've explored it for decades. But are we the same people? No, so then the Pesach will definitely not be the same. And if I'm finding Pesach or whatever experience I'm living to be the same, my marriage, my uh, my relationship with Hashem is just coming stale, then maybe the, the problem is not the relationship. Maybe it's the problem is me. Maybe I've become so boring that things aren't evolving in my life, that I'm not becoming a better version, that I'm not seeing the world, right? Am I wiser than I was a year ago? That's the question. Am I more knowledgeable? Am I kinder? Am I a better version of myself? Because if I am, then when I show up to Pesach or I show up to Rosh Hashanah, whatever, the, the same words as last year don't look the same. Because I'm new. So here's the question that I would like, you know, to ponder, especially as we listen to some beautiful music in just a moment. I'd like to ponder is, what does it mean to show up to Pesach in 2023? What does it mean to show up to Pesach based on the experiences we've had? And am I willing to um, see things with a fresh perspective? Talking about fresh perspective, this is one of the famous Yishai Ribo songs, Lashuv um, Habaita, to go back home, but how it was translated to English. And there's a uh, combination of Hebrew and English together with the Solomon Brothers. And this is My Way Back Home on 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson 
on 101.9 High FM. So, 101.9 Chai FM, my name is Rabbi Levi Aftson, and here we are at the Fabringen. You were just listening to Yishai Ribo and the Solomon Brothers' beautiful song. We have some more, another song at the end of the show, but let's get into it, right? The first part of the show, I was just presenting the case, Fabringen, really, about the idea that although we've lived through so many Pesachs before, as we get ready to Pesach, it's only three weeks from tomorrow night, we have to ask ourselves, are we different? And obviously, hopefully the answer is yes. We're different than we were last year, and therefore it's going to resonate differently. Now, that's a risky thing, what, what I'm saying, because risky because if I want to go now and bring about and explore Pesach, I'm going to have to explore it based on where I'm at, but not necessarily is that where you're at. In other words, regardless if you agree with, let's say, how I'm going to present some of the themes of Pesach for our modern world, I hope that regardless of that, you find a way to make it connect to your story now. Because Torah is timeless, and what it means Torah is timeless is not the way it sounds that it transcends time, but actually it's for every time. Timeless almost means that it doesn't have any connection to time, but the truth is, Torah is for all times. It's specifically for this time. It's for every time. So in other words, if Torah was talking to my grandparents in the shtetl, it's talking to me as well, and it's therefore my job to find its application. So what's the application now? The application compared to, let's say, last year in the past few years is in many ways we're past COVID. People are still getting COVID, but... We're not living in a COVID world. COVID is not really what's interfering with our lives right now. I haven't heard people kvetch about COVID for a while. That's not to say I haven't heard people kvetch, period. That would be false. People are kvetching. Um, and a lot about a lot of the stuff that maybe during COVID they weren't kvetching about, right? Once you're back on the road, you actually notice uh, potholes. If you're locked up in your home, you don't notice it, right? So... Um, We've gone out of lockdown and we've come into the world and the one way to think of it is we left Egypt and now we're free again. And just like the Jews in the desert who really struggled with their freedom, I think many of us are struggling with our freedom as well. Let's put this fact down that we can agree on, that in many ways freedom is much harder than slavery. When I mean harder, I don't necessarily mean physically harder. Slavery is usually much physically much harder. What we mean harder is emotionally, um, because freedom is scary. Freedom means you have to take responsibility for your own choices, right? That's why becoming an adult, what people call adulting, um, growing up and moving out of your parents' home and starting to take responsibility for your choices is terrifying. It's terrifying. I've, uh, over the last few years, I've had the opportunity, both locally and overseas, to talk to many high school students. And usually um, I'll, I, I chat about with them and explore the topic of that in the next 10 years of their life, right? I'm talking to 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Many of them are going to be making the biggest decisions of their life within the next 10 years. 
Um, they'll be deciding where to live, deciding what career to go into, deciding their value system, what they believe and what they don't believe, and often they'll decide which relationships to get into. So they might even decide if to have kids or not. That's a lot of decisions to make within, I don't know, 10% of a person's lifespan. Um, <clears throat> and usually the reaction of almost all the youth is like, Rabbi, why are you coming down hard on us? Why are you telling us this? Why, like, are you trying to scare us? And I'm like, no, I'm just, let's accept it. You guys are leaving high school and in the next 10 years, you'll be making the biggest decision of your life. But it's very scary. As much as kids crave to go out of school, there's a part of them that, that loves the fact that mom and dad are making the decisions for them. And they don't have to live with the consequences of huge decisions. It's interesting. Um, you know, when we talk, to a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah girl, a bar mitzvah boy, um, we tell them you're now becoming adults. But according to Jewish law, um, up to the age 12 for a girl and 13 for a boy, the parents take the responsibility. But at 12 and 13, the kids don't necessarily take on full responsibility themselves. It's only really at age 20 that they take full responsibility. In adolescence, it's like kind of hazy. It's a bit of gray. Why? Because... Let's be honest. They're still uh, they're still growing up. I, I tell bar mitzvah boys all the time: just because you're 13 doesn't mean you became a man. It just means you're starting to, the journey to become a man. And hopefully, in a few years' time, you'll be a man. Uh, and to a, the girl, you'll obviously you'll be a woman. But it's a huge journey and takes time. But the point is that adulting and taking responsibility for oneself is a huge undertaking. It's a huge challenge. It's a huge, huge. It's very scary, and most people um, don't don't embrace that challenge because, in many ways, it's much easier to be a child. It's much easier to not have to take responsibility for your choices. It's much easier to um, be led. And you see the psychology in the Jewish people. You see it as they leave Egypt, after they come home from, after they go into the desert, they're crutching from the first moment. If you open the Parsha of Bishalach, which is the Parsha, the splitting of the sea, you see immediately after this, after they, even before they cross the sea, they're panicking. But definitely after they cross the sea, they're complaining about water. They're complaining about food. They're complaining, uh, they're complaining about so many different stuff. Constantly going from complaint to complaint to complaint. And so it lasts for pretty much most of the sojourn in the desert. Why? Because freedom is scary. That's why they'll use the expression, we remember the good life, Zacharnu Sadoga, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. And like, what fish did you eat in Egypt? I mean, even if you ate fish, you guys were slaves. You didn't exactly have salmon for, for breakfast and lunch. But they had this safety net, because that's often what a slave has, is a safety net. And as terrible as lockdown was, and you know, I'm, I'm cautious about comparing real slavery to what we went through, but I, I do think that there's some lesson to learn from one to the next, even though they're very different experiences. But being in lockdown and being told by the government when you can walk out of the house and when uh, when you can't walk and being having your freedom take away from taken away from you is similar to slavery. Obviously the slave has more freedoms taken away than you do, but the concept of having freedom taken away is similar. So you have the freedom taken away from you and 
as much as we kvetched about it, I found people kvetching much less then than they're kvetching now. Yes, maybe load shedding wasn't as bad then, although there was definitely load shedding and the roads were pretty terrible and the corruption was there. But somehow when the decisions are taken away from you, there's something very comforting in that. The moment a person's now given full responsibility, they could go whatever they want, they could buy whatever they want, they're, they're literally being given their freedom back. You'd think we would be dancing in the streets from joy. And yet we're fetching like it's nobody's business. We're just literally walking around feeling sorry for ourselves. Suddenly we have major decisions to make. But that's the gift of being free. The gift of being free is that you're able to make decisions. Hopefully you don't make impulsive ones. Hopefully we don't make ones that are detrimental. But that's the gift of freedom. The gift of freedom is we, we live and die by the decisions we make. So the question is, as Pesach is coming, are we embracing that gift of freedom or are we resenting it? Do we see it as a privilege, as a gift that we're able to be free? That we're able to own our choices. We're able to take responsibility for what we do or do we resent it? I remember hearing a shocking um, piece of information and that is that each year hundreds of people apply to North Korea because they want to move there. Now you think to yourself, that is the, the slavery kingdom of the universe. Why would anybody go there? And the answer is because they feel at least over there they'll be taken care of. By the way, that's not true. Um, it's not as if they take care of the, the people, but it was the same thing during communist Russia. People who wanted to go climb over from the free world because at least in communism they'll be taken care of. Again, that wasn't true, but in the theory of communism, it was true. In other words, everyone's going to get whatever they need. Now, why would you be willing to sacrifice your freedom for that? Because that's what people are willing to do. They're willing to sacrifice their freedom for safety. We sacrificed our freedom for safety from COVID. But the point is, people... I never understood how easy it is to create a dictatorship until I watched what happened in this world. And I'm not saying it's from a political standpoint. I'm saying it's just from like studying human nature. It was so easy to get us to give up so many of our freedoms out of fear of dying. So in other words, the moment you harness people's fear, it's at that moment that you're able to get people to do anything. Because pretty much we gave away so much of our freedom to stay safe. So that's how easy freedom is to, is to give away. The question is, now that we have it back, thank God, and we live in a democracy that gave us our freedoms back and didn't just keep it and steal it, we have to ask ourselves now, okay, so what do I do with freedom? Do I embrace freedom? Because the way I look at it, I mean, not the way I look, I think the way anyone sees it, we're struggling. We're the freest um, generations in this generation, the previous generation, are the freest generations in history. More people live in democracies now than ever before. And yet we are the most medicated, depressed, obese, anxious, um, confused generation in history. You give people freedom, that's what you run the risk. You run the risk of crazy anxiety. You run the risk of, 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 of people literally unable to make decisions, frozen in place. You run the risk of people falling into, um, traps of, you know, gurus and other kind of people who are going to save them from themselves and, and fraudsters and 
all that stuff because you give a person freedom. It, if they don't take that freedom and cherish it and make responsible decisions for it, they can lose it. And that's why immediately after God gave us freedom at Sinai, uh, at, at the Exodus, he took us straight to a mountain within seven weeks. We made it to the mountain. He gave us the Torah because the message that he was giving us, the timeless message is freedom without values will turn into anarchy. Right? Like you could have a democracy, but a democracy does not mean that you won't have very bad ideas. Think about some of the political parties in our own country or some of the political parties all over the world. When you give people freedom and they don't have good values, they could use their freedom to cause havoc and destruction to a country and to other fellow human beings. So we have to ask ourselves as we're getting close to Pesach, what does freedom mean? Do I appreciate freedom? But do I also appreciate the cost of freedom? Because freedom is very expensive. It means I have to really show up. It means I have to take agency on my life. No one's going to lead my life for me. No one's going to make the, the, the choices for me. I have to live and die by the choices I make. And that's huge. And that's terrifying. And often you'll meet people in their 50s, 60s, 70s who still have not embraced this idea. They're still living like children in the fact that they don't want to make decisions. They're terrified of making decisions. They avoid decision-making. Because that's that's one of the scariest things of becoming an adult. You're now responsible to make choices. So make decisions. Obviously try to make the right decisions, but at the core you have to believe that the gift of freedom is nobody's making the decisions for you. You have to take responsibility. Your own free choice. So as we live in a world that is free again, ask ourselves a simple question. Are we happier with this freedom? Or are we more miserable? Are we happier people than we are than we were a year ago? Are we more miserable? Are we do we embrace life more now? Or are we more scared of life? Ask ourselves, last year Pesach, how did you show up to and how are you showing up this year? Are we better versions of ourselves? Are we freer? Have we embraced our freedom? Would love to hear your thoughts at 34519. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Ravi Levy, Austin of Linksfield Chul, and this is the Fabrengen every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon on the Chai FM network. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. The cost of freedom is really what we're exploring today, the cost of freedom, because freedom is expensive, not so much in money, but it means that we have to really show up. And the Talmud tells us that the word cheirut, freedom, comes from the word charut. You have to engrave the, the tablets, the two tablets that were given to Moshe, the Ten Commandments, were engraved. That in order to have cheirut, in order to have freedom, you need to be charut, you need to be engraved with the values. Some, a person's not free unless they are occupied with Torah and Torah values, says Ethics of Our Fathers. And the statement is found numerous times. The idea that a person needs to marry freedom with values. Because here's what's so scary about living today, and I'll be honest, I don't use that word lightly. Um, 
is that we are such a we're free society. Eight billion people, most of them are living in democracies and free, and yet in terms of values, right? To say that you're religious today is not necessarily that popular. To say you have religious values, um, to to even talk about values as being objectively right or wrong or not popular, right? Uh, how many times have I spoken with students who say, Rabbi, there is no right and wrong. There's just personal preference, what they call moral relativism. Everything's relative. Who says you're right? This is probably one of the most asked questions I ever get. Rabbi, how do you know you're right? Um, and I often have answers to that, but I don't want to go there. It just itself, that, that question is basically assuming that there is no right. There is no right way to live. There's no moral way to live. Um, and that every, everyone's entitled to an opinion. So, right, I, I sit at the table and Hitler is also entitled to an opinion at the same table of, of what's right and what's wrong because ultimately who's there to say what's right or wrong? And that's ridiculous. Besides the fact that it's dangerous, it's ridiculous and it's so unhealthy. So when you give people so much freedom as we have in our time, and yet you also erode values, that's what's terrifying. That's what scares me. Like, in other words, when people say they're so scared of where the world's going and the wars and this and that, I hear it. But for me, at the core, what what's obviously I know Hashem runs the world and he has a bigger plan. But when I worry about what humans are going to do to each other, it's often like, what do you do when, what happens when you give humans ultimate freedom, right? Every one of them could go online, say whatever they want, pretty much do whatever they want. And we live in a culture that says, you know, you do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anybody. How long does that move until it actually starts hurting people? Because every person's following their own free, um, their, their own free life without any moral, without any one thing that says this is right and it's wrong. Eventually, how long it, how long does it take until it leads to anarchy? How long does it take until it leads to personal anarchy and collective anarchy in a society? And I think so much of the the anger in the world and is a world that we have way too much freedom, way too much, not too much as in a bad way, but we have tons of freedom and we have tons of time in our hand. As much as we claim we're busy, somehow we manage to all spend many hours on our phone every day and we manage to watch every Netflix special we want and we manage to watch all the sport game we want and we manage to go play sport and paddle and God knows what else and we manage to, uh, you know, fight with our spouse, etc. And we, we, uh, let's stop overestimating how busy we are. Your grandparents who spent four hours washing each piece of clothing and uh, hours to write the leather and hours and hours to turn some wheat into bread, they were busy. We, who literally go to the store, or don't even go to the store, get the bread delivered to us, and write WhatsApps in a split second that go across the world, and have someone else do the laundry, and even if we do our own laundry, it takes literally a few minutes, we're not busy. We claim we're busy, perhaps just whatever, I'm so busy, I'm so, so busy. Mazel tov, you're busy, great stuff. Um, but when you, our society that has so much time, and open to everything, and yet is not exploring values enough. We're not learning enough. We're not talking enough about values in our homes, and in, we're not coming enough to show and having the discussions with uh, with our friends, with our rabbis, with our rabbisons about values. We're not spending enough time asking ourselves, what's the right way to live? We're all assuming that we, we figured it out based on the way we grew up and based on some, you know, thing that we just read on uh, Facebook 
um, we convince ourselves that we like we have life figured out, that we know how to parent, that we know how to be married, that we know, and like life is the the wisdom we need to live life is intense and incredible, and the amount of time we have to spend thinking about morals is huge. You know, one hour of Judaism a day for a few years in school is not enough for the rest of your life to carry you. A person has to explore every single day for the rest of their life. Definitely for a few minutes, if not longer, every day. What are my values? What is right and what's wrong? And how do I navigate this world? And how am I a better person? And how am I a better spouse? And how am I a better parent? And how am I a better employee? And how am I a better boss? And how am I a better citizen? And how am I more forgiving? And how am I a better version of myself? And this is the stuff that every day learn from other, learn from our patriarchs and matriarchs. Learn from the from the Chumash, from the Tanakh, learn from the Gemara, from the Talmud, learn from Jewish wisdom, learn from Hasidut, learn from Musar, learn, learn and explore and grow. We have to be willing to pay the price of freedom. We have to be willing to pay the price of freedom. And I think one of the great ways to 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 deal with this the the freedom we have today's day and age, it's one of many, but I think it's a great idea. Not great idea. It's it's one of the great mitzvot. Is the mitzvah of Shabbos? Um, I was just yesterday at the launch of the chief rabbi's uh, newest book that he wrote about Shabbos. It was a beautiful launch. Um, I know he's going to be having many other events over the coming months, and this magnificent book about really exploring the role of Shabbos in our life. I'm just looking for the book. Yeah, it's called A Day to Create Yourself. Um, Shabbos. That's one example of one way that each and every one of us can tackle living in today's world better. At least one day a week, get off your phone. At least one day a week, focus on spirituality. At least one day a week, get off Instagram and get off Facebook and get off TikTok um, and get off all the WhatsApp groups and get off um, your addiction to your phone, which I'm pretty sure a large percent of us have, um, and, and, and get lost into a better world, a, a world of connections with other human beings, right? If, if you want to enjoy people's company on Shabbos, you can't WhatsApp them. You have to show up to show or invite people to your house and actually enjoy it and connect. Whatever you're willing to pay, the price of freedom, we have to be willing to pay something. We can't just sit there saying, I live in a free world, but I'm not going to think about my morality. I'm not going to think about how to manage my anxiety better. I'm not going to think about how to have more impulse control. I'm not going to think about how to use um, the technologies of the time to better my life rather than to destroy it. If, if, if I don't spend time thinking about that, I will self-destruct. Because here's the rule, here's the truth. Studies in Western countries have shown that the biggest threat to the human being is themselves today. In other words, more than terrorism, more than, um, car, uh, sorry, the words, uh, crashes, uh, accidents, more than, um, violence, the, the single biggest cause of death for many people is suicide or obesity and, and the conditions that come with that. In other words, the biggest chance that someone's going to harm us is ourselves. That's what happens when you live in a free society. When you live in a tyrannical society, the biggest chance of someone hurting you is the government. But when you live in a free society, and we do live in free societies, 
despite all the things that we catch about the violence and the, which exists, and obviously we, the government has to do a better job, and we have to do better jobs, um, and despite uh, corruption, the person that has the biggest chance of ruining your life is you. And that thought is so scary, but it's so empowering. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM, and I actually want to finish off the show with a song. I was just talking just before the break about how Shabbos is one of the great ways that we can uh, counter um, the challenges of living in a free society. So this song, which actually just came out a few weeks ago, is a song based on the, there was a great Jew who lived before World War II. It was called the Munkah Chadav. And the Munkah Chadav one time showed up to, uh, it was actually his son's wedding, his only child's wedding. And they had a video camera. This was the 20s or 30s, so like video cameras were a new thing. Um, and they filmed him. And they said, uh, so he's like, what is this machine? So they said, you could tell Jews in America anything you want and we'll get it over to them. So he starts screaming. He said in the video, I've seen the video many times, he says, Yidin in America, Jews in America, hit Shabbos, keep Shabbos, it will be good for you. That was his message. Hit Shabbos, keep Shabbos, it will be good for you. And they took those words and uh, made a beautiful song. Shabbos is good for all of us. This is Yidin in America by Shmuley Imgar, 101.9 Chai FM.